Welcome to a special DOD to AEC episode of Inspiring People and Places, where throughout the month of November, we are interviewing veterans across the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industries. As always, our goal is to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. But more importantly this month, our goal is to highlight career paths of those who served in our military and continue to make an impact after military service in our industry. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, a service-disabled veteran-owned small business focused on advising public and private clients with strategy, planning, program management, and construction management support services. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, Inspiring People and Places, we have a very special guest. You've heard us talk about Jesse Gembling johnson and I, our Director of Talent, talk about the SkillBridge program. You've heard us talk about DOD to AEC, our efforts and initiatives to um, help veterans leaving active duty, recruit them into the construction and engineering industry to, to help build capacity, to bring leaders in, and in particular, our, our own company's effort to bring leaders and, and I don't want to say give back, but reinvest our success as a company into bringing more veterans into our firm. So today, we have one of two of MCFA's current SkillBridge, our, our inaugural class of SkillBridge candidates. We have Chief Warrant Officer 3, Mike Trump. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, BJ, how's it going? It's going great. Good. More important, we are one month into you joining MCFA for the Skill Bridge. How is it going for you? Uh, so far, so good. You guys have definitely kept me busy. Uh, you know, the first week, getting acclimated to everything, put me through some certifications. And then just last week, we went through the PMP bootcamp crash course. So it was definitely like a mind drilling experience, getting all that data. So hopefully that'll set me up for the future to get to take the test, continue on and, you know, keep studying. It's our version of boot camp. Yes. Well, right? it's a, more like a nerd version of boot camp, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how boot camp is right. nowadays, but I imagine it's not and like ne- that. Neither do I. <laughs> um, so, so I said before the show to Mike that, you know, we've had a lot of military folks come on that are post, you know, maybe first or second job or career transition off active duty. Mike's the first guest that we've had that's directly smack smack dab in the middle of this exiting active duty. So Mike, the first thing I want to ask you before we get into your career path is how did you learn about the skill bridge? What is the skill bridge from, from your side of the table? And what was that process like for any active duty military that might listen to this and, and, seek to understand how they could potentially participate in the future. Oh, absolutely. So funny thing is I didn't really hear much about SkillBridge coming in. I've been in for 23 years, you know, leader of soldiers, many of soldiers getting out. And I kind of feel like a disservice of not knowing about this wonderful program until later on in my career. I actually found out about it when I was in Bogota and there was a soldier or sailor, Navy, was getting out and he mentioned it. He was like, hey, have you checked this out? And I kind of looked into the the programs and everything they had, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is kind of an outstanding 
you know, opportunity for anyone that's getting out of the military. And then through various programs, I, I myself chose the Hiring Our Heroes program, which is run through the Department of Commerce or Chamber of Commerce. And what it enables you to do is essentially try out, have you, for a company, try your skills, have them try you out, learn something new while you're transitioning out of the military so you don't just get out without a plan. So you don't really get introduced to this until you're already about to get out and you start going through your soldier for life transition program. And they mention it there, but at that point you're already in a planning phase and you may not have even considered this if you haven't heard of it. So I would definitely encourage anyone that is planning to get out, I would say within a year to look into the Skillbridge program, look into hiring our heroes. Um, there's lots of opportunities out there that the government is willing to help you when you get out on the outside. And what does the application process look like? Do you apply directly to hire our heroes or can you go to any Skillbridge provider? Do you have to go to your command first? How does that all work? So you, you originally, you have to go with your command first. You have to have an approved separation date. I believe it's within 180 days of the program starting. So my, myself, my official retirement date is 1 January. So that's why that this was backed up to starting the beginning of September. And you go to your command. It's just like you have to request leave because you're, you're gone for up to four months. And there's, there's certain forms that you get through your transition office. So you don't have to wait to start your SFL tap classes or anything. You can go to your, the, the transition office, set up an appointment with a counselor, and they will inform you of the entire process, give you the whole packet, and essentially walk you through step-by-step step on what you need to do. It wasn't hard. The hardest part was waiting for signatures to come back from commanders. I had to go to brigade commander to get it signed. But as long as you're within good standing and, you know, it's not a detriment to the unit's mission, I don't see why they would not let you. Cool. When you were applying, so I know that we, I think Jesse ended up interviewing 30 candidates. Mm -hmm. And those candidates were all interviewing with multiple companies how many companies did you apply to? What were you looking for? And, and what was your experience like in that, I'll call it rapid dating phase? <laughs> that's, that's a very good analogy for what it was. So within Hiring Our Heroes, the great thing about that is you're regional. So, you know, there's, there's a Southwest region, there's a Metro DC region, and then the New York, New Jersey, Delaware region. I kind of participated in both the New York and the Metro DC region because I'm in Eastern Shore of Maryland. So I'm, I'm like smack dab in the area where like it needs its own region, but it's not big enough. But regardless, Hiring Our Heroes takes your resume and they send it out to, I think the number was up to like 250 something companies that are participating. And obviously some of them, you know, are not applicable. You know, you know they'll just be like, okay, never mind. And then some of them, you know, you never know. Myself, a uh, little bit of background for relevance is I'm a military intelligence systems maintainer. So a lot of background in IT, um, electronics, soldering, satellite communications, things of that nature. I had pharmaceutical companies reaching out to me. I had uh, Cummins Diesel reach out to me, you know, MCFA, all, all companies, you know, civil engineering company. I had no, you know, wasn't, weren't even on my radar. It was just one of those things where, you know, I was so narrow-minded and, and boxed in that I wouldn't even have thought, be like, man, well, these companies have IT or they need someone, you know, with my skill set to 
you know, participate or start a consulting portion or, you know, what have you. So hiring our heroes, send your resume out to all these people and then they reach out to you. It wasn't like you are going to 200 companies and applying, applying, applying. Jesse reached out to me. You know, I, I didn't even know who MCFA was other than you were a name on a list of 250 companies. So a lot of it falls on the company to do some effort and reach out to individuals, you know, go through a lot of resumes and, you know, come out with, you know, the cream of the crop, so to say. Um, but specifically, I, when I had all companies reach out to me, I think all said and done, I had about 35 companies that reached out and I dwindled it down specific needs. A lot of companies wanted me to relocate, which was, you know, a hard no. I'm retired. This is where I live now. So that dwindled it down to, you know, probably about 10 or 15. And then that's when the actual interview process started with the back and forth between companies. It's great. And tell people what is on your mind. You just hit on location. You are location chosen, location specific. You know where you want to live. What else is on your mind as you transition outside of obviously a paycheck? What are you looking for in a company from content of work, culture, anything that, that you're thinking through? So my self, I'm retiring. So I can afford to be picky. I, I kind of see that as unique as not everyone is in that situation as so like a four-year soldier getting out or so. But when I sat down and I, you know, it was a family decision. Hey, this is where we're going to retire to. Excuse me. This is where we're going to live for the rest of our lives. So I always heard the saying that you can either have a job that you like or a location that you like. You can't have both. And it's kind of, I disagree with that because, you know, there's tons of jobs out there. Um, So I chose a location I liked. Now I was like, I'm going to find a job I like. So when I started windling down these jobs, I wanted something that would give me value, like something that, you know, working on something, I would, you know, it would go forward and accomplish something and I would, you know, see the results, you know, have a sense of accomplishment and, you know, get value. I, I honestly could just not have a job and sit home, but, you know, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I'm not about to just golf every day. My back will start hurting. So... <laughs> Way to reload your shoulders. Yeah. We'll make that back hurt. (laughs) And what is it that you saw in MCFA through the interview process with Jesse? So first and foremost, Jesse, you hit it off well hiring him. I don't know how you found him, but when Jesse reached out to me in our initial conversation, he had nothing but amazing things to say about the company. And the biggest thing then when he was pitching this to me is the opportunity that was given to me. Um, that's honestly all I can ask for is opportunity because some companies I, you know, I interview for and everything and they're very like, you know, some of the higher up, I won't name names, but higher up consulting firms and stuff like that will reach out to me, but they can't get more specific, you know, kind of what I'll be doing and what kind of team I'll be working with. Jesse was very upfront and foremost, like, Hey, like, you know, we're a small company, you know, we, you know, these are our values, and, you know, these are the opportunities, you know, I'd love to have you love to have another talk. It was honestly his energy, his enthusiasm, everything that that kind of hooked me. And I was like, man, that's like, if everyone at that company is like Jesse, then, <laughs> then I got something going for me. Not everybody's like Jesse. <laughs> But I do think that we're all core value aligned, mission driven, and focused on one, 
client success and mission success and two, each other's success and, mm-hmm. and each other's success, not just defined by some financial gain, but fulfillment and, and, you know, aligning people towards missions that, that excite them and allow them to flex their skills. Right now you're moving from kind of our training phase into our project exposure phase where we're really hoping that, you know, you, you find some projects and it sounds like you're becoming a, a very relied upon team member with uh, some of our project teams. So what's your sense so far? Working with Tom a little bit, he kind of reached out to me out of the blue and said, Hey, can you help me with this? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm intern. Of course I can. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm free labor, but yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm for. So he sent me some things, brought me up to speed a little bit on the project that we were working on. And I did a little bit digging and reading and in the digging and reading, you know, I already started to identify things that could be better and, you know, created a product for him that he has for, and seemed like he liked it. I know it's going to be brief to the customer. They're the ones that really matter. So, but it was an advantage to me because it was for, you know, a military ish partner for Aberdeen Proving Grounds down there. And I kind of already know and speak the language and know how things are wanted from being on that side. So it was a very ease in, I guess you could say. Like it, I felt no different from being like sitting in the battalion XO seat and having, you know, battalion commander and saying, Hey chief, I need you to, you know, knock this out real quick. It was it was kind of the same feeling. So upon doing that, it's given me some insight into how projects are work, how how things are aligned, how NCFA does work and business with customers, and though it's gonna follow on with more meetings with the customers and, and whatnot. It's great. And for our audience, I, I want you to hear some of this, but not to, to understand what a veteran transition might look like, understand what a SkillBridge candidate might look like, what he's looking for, and, and what we're, we're using the program. It, it's in our best interest to continue to build our talent pool, right? I, you can't, can't grow a company, especially a company that is in the consulting industry without good people. We talk about our people, our brand every day. And and one of the, you know, secret sauces that's not so secret, because I talk about it all the time, is the the veteran community brings a set of skills that I think have already checked the number of blocks we're looking for in people. One, there's some level of grit because they've they've gotten through a number of different trainings, starting with boot camp. Two, there's mission focus because when you're in the military, everything comes down to that. Three, there's loyalty. And I think that that is undervalued in today's society, but we value it greatly. And then there's just a whole bunch of core value alignment inside of MCFA around, you know, extreme ownership, fun, not taking ourselves too seriously, taking the, taking the mission seriously, but not taking ourselves too seriously and a number of other things. So I want you know, Mike, I'm, I'm excited that you took the opportunity to, to interview on the podcast because I want, you know, you, you represent a lot of people out there <laughs> that, that are contemplating their next move and have a huge set of skill sets that the marketplace needs. And, you know, you are going to help us continue to grow as a company internal problem sets, external problem sets, helping us look at it. And the value of 
this no pressure skill bridge program, which is, hey, try it before you buy it on both sides, I think is is so valuable. And and I I want any veteran or any active duty member that can get the chance to get the chance to really go experience the the private sector before they go into the private sector. Because you may you may get to the end of this and say, you know, hey, BJ Jesse, great program. I, I I like this, but I don't think this is for me from a scope standpoint. Or you may say, I found I found my home and I know exactly <laughs> where I'm supposed to be and what I'm gonna do, and I'm ready to build my my next chapter of my career here. So I appreciate you giving us some insight into that. Oh, absolutely. Any, Anything else that like reactions to that and absolutely. And it's just, you know, results may vary, you know, you, everyone's different. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. might get a soldier that, you know, is, is just does have the skills, but I think it also during this program and you guys are, are, you know, heading it up the very, like the correct way. Like you immediately started us on the path to, uh, Hey, let's get you enrolled in some certifications or anything. So whatever happens after, you know, say I don't, you know, BJ, I don't like this. I still got away with an experience, some certifications, some training. I got to see what happens in the sector. And then for someone like me, you know, I'm doing this kind of job, leading projects and everything for, you know, close to 20 something years for a younger guy, this might be their first experience doing something like this. So it might be what exactly they need in order to take that next step. So either way you look at it, whether it's a younger, you know, soldier, sailor, airman, whatever have you, because they're all, you know, getting out or if it's an older guy like me getting out, the the experience and the opportunity here is phenomenal. So, yeah, agreed. So, all right, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and take us through your, your career path on active duty. I know (laughs) that we, we determined right before the show that Mike and I are two years apart. So we were born two weeks apart. And then from there, we, we, we went separate ways, but, but had similar career paths. Talk to us about how you joined the army, why you joined the army and, and all of the assignments from, from the beginning to end. Okay. So I joined the military at the young age of 17. I joined directly out of high school, went to a very small high school in Owens Mills, Maryland called Owens Mills High School. That's coincidentally the same city that the Baltimore Ravens have their office in. So 17, just graduating high school, graduated high school with a 1.9 GPA. So I was, for lack of better words, kind of an underperformer, not for smarts. I just did, had a lack of caring. So I made a decision that I'm not going to go through life like this. So I joined the military, went to Fort Benning, which is coincidentally now where I'm retiring out of 23 years later, <laughs> Fort Moore now, Full excuse circle. me. And went to basic, went to AIT. And then my first duty assignment was at Fort Stewart, Georgia. And I think 2001 is when I arrived about the time, really early in the year. So I got to know the unit, you know, new guy on the block, meeting everyone. And then a very significant event happened in 2001 that everyone remembers not that long ago. And after the attacks on 9-11 was my first experience into the world of ambiguity and doubt, I guess, into what I would be doing for the rest of my life. I, I, for lack of a better term, it, it changed the way we operate and it changed my life afterwards. 
So after 9-11 happened, very shortly thereafter, I found myself on my very first deployment to Iraq during OIF-1 when we invaded. And that was one of the deployments where you don't know when you're coming home. So every month that we were there, we hoped it was the month that we were coming home, but we just kept going and kept going and kept going until finally came home a year later. It was that time I was actually stop lost because I only joined for three years. So I was stop lost for a while. I came home, transitioned out of the military, and I joined the reserves with the intent to go to college because that was the whole thing. You know, I didn't do well in high school. So let me join the military, straighten myself up, and then go to college. So I did. I, I went to school at Towson State University and joined the reserves at the same time. Coincidentally, I deployed almost immediately again to Iraq. <laughs> as a reservist. So that was not a very fun experience for me to get off of active duty, start my life, and then deploy again. I was actually on the local news because I was one of the first soldiers to have deployed twice within a year back to back. And uh, people were, you know, interviewing me, how you feel, you know, this and that. And this was before my my last name was even famous. So, you know, it was it was a it was a big deal. <laughs> So yeah, that's when I went, met my wife shortly before that. That was her first intro into the military lifestyle. So she stayed with me unmarried through that whole deployment. And we got married as soon as I got back. And that's when we had our kids. And about that time is when the housing market crashed. And at that time, I was framing houses and doing punch out work and stuff. So I was very familiar with the construction industry. And my boss, who was a very good friend of the family, came to me. He was like, Hey Mike, like I can't, I can't afford to pay you much longer. Cause he, you know, wasn't building many houses. So that's when I went back down to the recruiter's office and signed back up and, you know, <laughs> went from there. And then, you know, over the course of deploying to Afghanistan two more times, deploying to Bogota, I was actually on my way to Nigeria when COVID happened. I was in Italy, Northern Italy, mm. which was the hot spot. So the Nigeria mission was canceled and I was immediately like kind of quarantined in Italy and then Germany and then sent home. Like, I didn't know what was going on. So that was a fun time. And that's kind of after that's when my, my career started to slow down was after COVID. I started thinking about, you know, I'd like to spend some more time with my kids. I'm tired of deploying, you know, I'm starting to get older. I can't be running a thousand miles a minute anymore. And so I started, started to dial it back. And then as soon as I said that, I went to Mexico and then I went to Panama. <laughs> so Panama was my last mission. And then that's when I put my retirement pack word, pack it in. So, and then talk, talk to us about what a warrant officer was doing. I know that you were really in the systems engineering world. Mm -hmm. Tell us the types of roles that you were, you know, supporting. So as a warrant officer, my, my MOS is 353 Tango, which is Military Intelligence Systems Maintainer Integrator. Um, and we are tasked with maintaining, integrating anything, intelligence systems throughout the, the military, I guess, architecture. They have the hot word button. It was, it's called the intelligence architecture. So that's everything from collection to data management to physical systems maintenance and transport, so satellite communication, radio, RF communications. So I am adverse in all of that. And it, it, it's kind of, it's it's one of the coolest jobs in the military. I absolutely love it. 
because it's the most challenging job in the military, I'd have to say. And I will miss it. And I still, you know, I still get phone calls and texts today, you know, people asking me, hey, I have this issue with so-and-so and, you know, I'll try to help them through because it's, it is essentially, you are, you're faced with a problem of unknown because sometimes the system will be something you've never seen before. Um, and you have to figure out how it works, what it does and why it does it in order to fix it and place it and, you know, get, teach people how to use it. And later in my career, when, you know, deploying to in first SFAB with deploying down to South America and Central America, that was mostly my job as an advisor is what I taught our foreign partners how to use and emplace their systems, oftentimes systems that we had given them. Hmm. Cool. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified service disabled veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching gears Mm -hmm. to some rapid fire questions. Favorite quote? Hmm. I would have to say, and it's very relevant, I guess, to... Um, my time here, relevant to you, I suppose. And it's also might not be a real quote. It's the quote that Tom Brady gave when he was drafted. And I don't know if you were familiar with what he may or may not have said, but he just, you know, basically told Robert Kraft that, you know, I'm the best decision that you ever made. And it comes off as a little, I guess, conceited, but it's one of those things. And it opened my eyes also throughout like this whole interview process and everything, especially to some of the companies that will just straight up be like, well, no, thank you. You're not a fit. And it, it, you know, it gets under your skin a little bit where you're just like, well, I know I could have done that job better than anyone that you have in your department, but you know, sorry. So I will, you know, you know, relay that to you. (laughs) I am a very, I guess, influential leader, but it's also because I believe in myself and I guess that that confidence is contagious. Goes along. They say negativity is contagious, but I think also confidence is contagious, and uh, you'll probably see a lot of that as you go forward. I like it, and I am familiar. <laughs> when I, I I I hate the New England Patriots. Oh, me for too. Their success. Yes, <laughs> and you, if you hate all that success, you can't help but hate Tom Brady for it. But you can also love and respect somebody that you know is at the top of the game. And I agree that, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, if my son ever said that to somebody, I'd hit him over the head, right? Like, (laughs) yo, get over yourself. But to your point, arrogance versus the confidence in himself to say like, a lot of people miss me and I'm, I'm going to show you that this is the best decision that this organization has ever made is um, hundred percent. And that's, that's where it comes off of. And one of my one of my favorite things for people to tell me is that I can't do something because that lights a fire under me. Like you wouldn't believe because I will, you know, especially if it's something that I think I can do already, I will prove you wrong. Hold my beer as they say. Yes. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Harry Truman said, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. What's your favorite book or most re- recommended book in your library? So 
Funny thing. So it, it leads me to kind of, I know we haven't gone down that route, but coming to being a veteran, getting out of the military, you go through things, you know, starting transitioning, you do your VA claims and everything. And one of the things that, you know, I started doing and to help me with the whole process and, you know, kind of like calm me down and everything is I started reading a lot of books about anger management and, you know, of the sort. And there is a book, but it's called Anger. And the reason why I recommend this book is because it it's not about necessarily dealing with your anger, I guess, like outbursts or anything like that. But it's about kind of like a discovery of of how to mellow yourself out and deal with things and how they come. It's called Anger, Wisdom for the Cooling Flames. And the author's name is Thich Nhat Han. Hmm. And uh, he just passed away. Did he really? Yeah. Like, I think, I, I don't know how you say, I, I think Ex- I, you're pretty close though. He was just referenced in a interview between Tim Ferriss and Arthur, Arthur Brooks. I think it's teaked, like teaked, teaked. The, the H I think is silent. Okay. Somebody listening can, can correct us, but I, I have not, I've heard of him. I have not heard of the book. But it certainly sounds like a valuable read. Hundred so. percent, especially someone in in this situation, because there's a lot of moving parts. Anxiety, you know, goes high. There's a lot of worries, you know, the the fear of the unknown going into a new thing, and it really helped me kind of bring me down a level into like kind of like you know the Bob Marley, everything's going to be all right kind of thing. So that's great. Was it? philosophical or action oriented? Did they give you any, any key takeaways that you've applied? I would say it's more of, more of a, a philosophical writing, very easy read, but not, not a long book either, but nothing in there. That's like, like you need this one infamous quote. It's, it's kind of, you have to read it to, to believe it kind of thing. Got it. I love it. All right. If you could have dinner with three people, Dead or alive, who would they be? Hmm. So one one of the people alive still, because I'm interested in not only the story and as a fan and just a fan of the sport, but Ray Lewis. I've read his book and I would love just to get to know him from a personal level to see where he gets his inspiration from. Because he is by far the most inspirational characters in my life, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. growing up and watching him and just, you know, the enthusiasm for maybe he is how I am or he's the reason why I am now. So yeah, definitely Ray Lewis. I would say maybe Abraham Lincoln, and that would be to understand his time and thinking going into the civil war up into giving the Gettysburg address, like how he how he wrestled with, you know, a divided nation and, you know, what his plan was to bring it together, you know, you know, if it didn't work and, you know, whatnot. I would would love just to pick, pick the man's brain in one of the, I guess, tumultuous times in our entire nation's history. I would say Bill Gates, um, not the billionaire, but I would say Bill Gates, the, uh, savant, just to sit in a room with him, you know, not to have him bring me out somewhere fancy, but just to pick his brain of how did you think of this? You know, because I think he's one of the, the brightest minds in our in our history. And it would be very interesting 
to see his like thoughts and everything. I've watched the Netflix special that he has, and it's it's a good insight to him. But there's a lot of editing and everything that goes into that, and I would like to just sure. sit down and talk to him. Yeah, I, it is a good documentary. I, it's like a th- mini series, right? Three, yeah, three parts or something. What are you doing outside of work? I know you know military life becomes very focused, and you're trying now to. obviously not obviously you mentioned your family i know you have twin daughters what else gets you excited outside of work (laughs) fishing i I like fishing that's i so this house i bought was very specific and why i say i'll never move is because i have a house on the water now so now i can go into my backyard and get on my boat and go fishing whenever i want so that's a huge part of my life as i sit in this room you know i probably have 27 fishing rods in here and it saddens me that it's getting colder because this is a time that you know fishing slows down but there's also some good fishing to have but outside of that as a personal hobby i like i guess teaching and mentoring my kids i just bought them vehicles so i Mm. love going down and this is how you change your tire and this is how you know you check your oil and things like that and you know even at sometimes at times they're 16 they're looking at their phones the whole time you know like, dad, I don't care, whatever you're going to fix this for us anyway. I really like it when they pay attention and it, yeah. I can see that like, you know, aha look. Cause it, that, that actually takes me back to, you know, when you're training young soldiers and you get, you know, you're leading a team, you have like the team does the work. So I, I love being a dad again, I'm not saying that I wasn't dad in the military, but I can be more of a dad now than I ever could have been. And it's, it's kind of, at times it's just like, God, why, why did I wait 23 years to do this? So. Yeah. I, I can understand. That's uh that's great. You're going to have to teach me how to fish because <laughs> I, I know how to throw a line in, but I don't know how to get anything on the other end of it. That's half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want on your tombstone? What do you want your legacy to be? So for my tombstone, like I said, I'm a very confident guy. I don't shy away from the spotlight, so I wouldn't mind if I had like a large tombstone. But as I get older, I, I kind of go back. The monument to Michael yeah. Trump. Is this, this? There must be something with the last name. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there is no relation. If you know, if that's, I, I wasn't sure if that would be the first question that was asked. But every everywhere I go, I get both sides of it. So just you know, we'll put that out there. I have no relation to the former president Donald Trump. But no, I, that was younger me. I, as I get older and wiser, and I guess tireder. It means less to me to have a legacy. I think just leaving behind, I want my kids, I want to set them up for success. They're obviously going to get everything from me, you know, when I'm gone, but I want them to not need it. Kind of like I worked my way up and I don't need anything from anyone. And that would be my legacy if I think if that could happen, that if when I pass, my kids, you know, I could talk to them and they could say thanks, but we don't need it. Hmm. Pretty cool. All right. Close us out. Any, you know, you've been in the AEC industry now for one month. Whopping. (laughs) Uh, But our our listeners range from public agency executives and and corporate executives to transitioning military veterans contemplating the construction industry. You've had 23 years of leadership in the military. What do you want to share with our audience that we didn't cover? I would say, you know, Always keep in mind that, you know, transitioning veterans, as, as you know, as well, you know, we went into a little bit, you know, 
not everything, not everyone's the same. Everyone has their own problems. So keep that in mind as, you know, you have someone that's transitioning out of the military. They might have something that they're going through at that particular set of time that might be not normal to the outside world. Things like PTSD, certain people, you know, going through issues that, you know, they just can't help. So as veterans are getting out of the military, just ask, you know, as as the grander scheme is that people, you know, take their time with them. Realize, you know, that all of the potential is there from all our training. Everything's there and none of it has ever left us, but the transition does take some time. It's not going to be an immediate thing. And then getting into this AEC realm is a hundred percent a new world to me. I never thought in a million years that I would, you know, be even doing anything remotely like this. I thought I'd be, you know, working down at Wallops Island with NASA, which is a job I turned down, but, (laughs) (laughs) and it's just, it is, it's new. And it's vast. I always say the the opportunities are endless. So as a veteran getting out, absolutely consider, you know, first MCFA, but also any other opportunities that may may come through the DOD to AEC program that's out there, because, you know, the the civil engineering realm is just, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited. A month in, you're saying that. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> three months in and three years in, you'll be saying the same thing. We agree. Problem sets are problem sets are big. Project teams are are many, and and the needs are are varied. So, I go back to without the civil engineering skill set, but with the people leadership and the problem solving skill set, I think you are going to shine in our industry, and we're excited to have you. So. Mike, thanks so so much for your time, jumping on with us, uh, for sharing your journey and uh, everybody else out there listening, please share this maybe with a, a transitioning veteran or, or somebody on active duty who's could really use the skill bridge program to their advantage to kind of get one foot out the door and, and explore the private sector. Uh, and as always send us, send us more people because we're, we're looking to, expand and develop talent and put the right people in the right places to con- continue to, to build out our company and to make an impact on the industry. Until next time, have a great week and a great weekend. All right, Thanks, everybody. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and in Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and share this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.